there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, The Eric Erickson Show. Glad to have you with me. The phone number, if you want to be on it, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Now, listen, I don't want to spend any more time on the Virginia stuff, but I, I got to say this. Do not rush to the default position the election was stolen if Glenn Youngkin loses. This is a blue state. Early voting has been going on since September. And Democrats are starting to show up at the polls today in the rain. So don't say if your guy loses, it must be stolen. That's what everybody does these days. You don't have to go there. Early voting's been going on since September. And they're counting the votes, and it appears that McAuliffe won significantly the early vote. Now, I think it's ridiculous they early vote starting all the way back in September. They should change that. But if McAuliffe wins, you do need to keep that in mind and not just say, well, they stole the election. Everybody says that these days when their side doesn't win. Everybody's a sore loser. Okay, now we, we have to move because there's a story out that you need to hear about. The Biden administration wants to pay $450,000 to illegal immigrant families that were separated at the border. More than, as Mitch McConnell pointed out the other day, more than we pay to the families of the fallen, they want to pay to illegal aliens separated at the border, which is absurd. Mark Bronovich, uh, the attorney general for Arizona, was on Fox News, had this to say about that. And as you know, uh, President Biden um, has been untethered to the Constitution and any legal authority oh. since day one of since day one of his administration. As you know, we have multiple lawsuits. In fact, literally on Friday, the U.S. Supreme Court accepted our case involving the public charge rule, which the Biden man administration abandoned their defense of a statute that basically or a rule that says you have to be able to support yourself. This is what I call incentivizing people to come here. And now you throw on top of this their um, unwillingness to enforce existing law. And now essentially monetizing, giving people payments, close to half a million dollars that have broken the law. It's quite frankly, not only unconstitutional, it's unconscionable. And I've got an idea. I've got an idea here, breaking news. Instead of giving them $450,000 in hardworking American taxpayer cash, mm -hmm. let's give them all a Joe Biden or a Hunter Biden painting. Let's give them all a Hunter Biden painting. <laughs> they can value it whatever they want. So here's what you need to know. This is from the Wall Street Journal. 11 Republican senators have asked President Biden to halt his administration's talks to settle lawsuits filed on behalf of immigrant families who say they suffered trauma for being separated after illegally crossing the southern border during the Trump administration. Rewarding illegal immigration with financial payments runs counter to our laws and would only serve to encourage more lawlessness in our border Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley and the 10 other Republican members of the Senate Judiciary Committee wrote in a letter to Mr. Biden. To that end, I ask that your administration refuse to issue any settlement payments for aliens who broke our laws. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell sharply criticized the potential settlement of around $450,000 per person, which the Wall Street Journal reported last week. Honestly, this absurd idea feels like a satirical policy proposal that Republicans would have invented to make a parody out of the radical left, Mr. McConnell said on the Senate floor, previewing a likely line of attack in next year's midterm elections. The White House referred it to the Justice Department. Now, here's the 
story behind the story. A family or a, a, a group of families sued the United States government for upwards of a million dollars claiming that separating the family at the border caused lasting psychological trauma. People familiar with the matter have said the final number could shift and that many families would likely get smaller amounts depending on the circumstances, but the total potential payout could be upwards of a billion dollars. 940 claims have been filed so far by families that were separated, and government officials aren't sure how many more will come forward to prove eligible under a potential settlement. By pursuing a settlement, the government is seeking to avoid trials that lawyers experienced with large-scale cases involving alleged emotional distress say could get even costlier. So the Democrats want to settle lawsuits filed by illegal aliens who are claiming that they were permanently emotionally traumatized by being separated at the border. And the Biden administration wants to settle with them instead of fighting it in court. You will recall one of the problems we have in this country already are prior settlements from the 1990s in the Clinton administration with how the Clinton administration favorably settled with illegal aliens in ways that have bound the federal government. That's essentially what the Biden administration is trying to do. They're trying to use lawsuits filed by progressive activists on behalf of illegal aliens to bind the federal government to future positions without having to pass laws in Congress. They're trying to essentially backdoor in legislation by never having to pass it, but having the federal government settle a lawsuit so that in the future, families can't be separated at the border because, well, we've already settled the lawsuit, and I'm sure part of the lawsuit will be an agreement to never separate the families in the future, even though that could spark a crisis relating to human trafficking. So one reason the kids have been separated from the parents is because we don't know that the parents are really the parents. This is going to come back to haunt the Democrats if they do this. Now, here's one of the calculations Democrats have to make. Is it Are they so far gone in the polling that they might as well go on and do whatever they can because they know they're going to lose? Lock in what they can before they lose. That, that may happen after Virginia. I mean, I, I still think the odds are in a slight Terry McAuliffe win because it's Virginia. I'm starting to get optimistic. As the day goes on and the numbers change, I go back and forth. But if the Democrats do badly in Virginia, you very well could see a situation where the Democrats say, you know what, we're going to get wiped out next year. Let us pass everything we can pass. And if we can pass it, let's use the executive branch to do what we can before the Republicans come in and try to stop it. And one of those things would be these sorts of settlements. We should oppose these sorts of settlements. It's going to become a campaign issue. We want to pay $450,000, $450,000 
per family that was separated at the border. And they want to blame Trump. They want to say it's all Donald Trump's fault. Donald Trump was preventing a humanitarian crisis that the Democratic policies had encouraged. And we have a humanitarian crisis there now. Don't look now, but there is a massive wave of illegal immigrants headed to the United States. They will be here within the next week or two. 30 to 50,000 new illegal aliens. But let, let's just again, let, let's go through the trauma. What's more traumatic? Walking up through Central America through the drug cartel territory and hiring coyotes to get you into the United States or being separated. What do you think is really more traumatic? I, I would venture to say going through Central America, the, the fact that the Biden administration doesn't want to fight these lawsuits and that Congress won't act on these lawsuits is absurd. The Congress of the United States should be legislating that you've got to be separated, but the Democrats won't do it. What the Democrats want to do is they want these lawsuits to go forward, and they want to settle the lawsuit, and in settling the lawsuit, agree to never separate the families in the future, and then pay them more than the families of the fallen. Think about the soldiers who died in Afghanistan a couple of months ago. These families who are illegal aliens who crossed into this country illegally will get more money than the families of those fallen soldiers get. Tells you everything you need to know about the Biden administration and why there's a growing voter backlash against them. Now, let us get into some phone calls. Uh, Waiting very patiently on the phone is Susan. You're going to be up next. Welcome to the program, Susan. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, something I saw, I guess, during the weekend was um, before Biden went to Scotland, he was also at the G20, and he and a number of other uh, global leaders who were there said, gee, you know what, we need a 15% global corporate income tax. And I mean, to me, that it really starts to chip away at the sovereignty of not only the United States, but every other country that signs on with something like that. But also, too, if they start out with a global corporate tax, you know that eventually they'll say, you know, we need to start taxing individuals in these countries, too, to have, you know, people like you and I will pay our, not only our state and federal uh income taxes, but we'll pay pay a global income tax too. And that just hurts little people. And we all know that corporations don't pay taxes anyway. Yeah. Well, okay. So let me break this one down. So it's not a, it's not, you're, you're not going to pay a a global income tax to like the United Nations or something like that. What it'll be is that each country on the planet will have a minimum income tax of 15% on profits, no deductions, no credits, no nothing. Whatever you your stated profits are, 15% will go to whichever government in which you're domiciled. So Apple is an American corporation with billions in profit. And Apple would have to pay 15%, regardless of all their other deductions and stuff, 15% would go to the United States. This will prevent Apple from domiciling in a place with no corporate tax. This is to get around it. Now, what they will do, there are countries out there that have no corporate income tax, and what these countries will do by treaty is essentially blockade, boycott, and and harass the countries that refuse to go along with it. They will cause the global gang up. It's a bad idea. 
You know the reason corporations don't pay taxes? I mean, now we pay their taxes for them because part of our price for the good and service is baked in. But why don't they really like pay income tax at the end of the day? So many of them say zero. Because they're paying for your health care insurance, so Congress allows them to deduct it. They're paying your salary, so Congress allows them to deduct it. They are paying to transition to renewable energy. Congress allows them to deduct it. They're paying for the education opportunities for their employees. Congress allows them to deduct it. All of these things companies do, Congress allows them to deduct it because they're doing good things. If Congress forces these companies to pay 15% on their profits regardless, some of these companies are going to say, well, screw it. I'm not doing any of this stuff. They're going to tax me anyway. I'm doing all these things so I don't get taxed, so forget it. I'm going to get rid of your benefits. I'm going to get rid of your education credits. I'm going to get rid of all this stuff, employees, because they're taxing me. Companies don't do these things because they're good-hearted. They do them because it saves them on taxes. And now they're going to pay taxes anyway. Only a group of global progressive elites who have no idea how the world works could come up with this idea, and yet they have and want to do it. Good luck getting Congress to pass it, though. Hi there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. The bottom of the hour, Kevin Brady, congressman from Texas, he's the ranking member on Ways and Means, is going to join me. He's retiring from Congress. I want to talk to him about the, the, what, uh, the big spending packages that are trying to make their way through up there. Right now, I want to go back to the phones and take Douglas's phone call. You're up next. Welcome. Hey, um, have a question for you. What what is the constitutional process for removing the vice president? Impeachment, uh, majority vote in the House and a two thirds vote in the United States Senate. Uh, well, that, the reason I ask that looks like the solution for the Democrats to regain any credibility or electability is to replace Harris with. Uh, <clears throat> a moderate, charismatic uh, replacement. Well, but you can't do that because she's non-white, and that would be racist. Oh, okay. I wasn't thinking about that. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, we, we got racial make- politics here. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, we, you got to think about that. And, and the Democrats aren't, first of all, there aren't the votes to replace Kamala Harris. Now, what Joe Biden could do, Douglas, if you're listening, is if he chose to run again in 2024, he could say, I'm going to have a I'm going to have a newbie. I'm going to have a, a new vice president, but they're not going to do that either. They're not going to do that because they he wants Kamala Harris to be the nominee. You know, Democratic polling out there is interesting. The Democrats out there actually are saying, "Wait a second. We don't want Joe Biden running in 2024." Now, if you don't want Joe Biden running in 2024, it does raise the question of who replaces Joe Biden. And part of the problem there is Kamala Harris doesn't have a lot of support. Maybe Stacey Abrams runs. See, I, you know, there's this growing sentiment down in Georgia. By the way, uh, I, I hear that when the polls close in Virginia today, Stacey Abrams will be named uh, governor of Virginia and then she will proceed to run in Georgia. But there's a growing debate down in Georgia. Does Abrams even run in 2022? If the environment is that bad for the Democrats in 2022, does she want to risk losing? Because if she loses twice for governor in Georgia, that hurts her. Or does she put someone else to run in Georgia? 
And she decides to wait and run for president in 2024 and challenge Kamala Harris. Because then she could run for Georgia when she loses. She could run in Georgia in 2026. Which if you go back in the record to 2012, 2014, Abrams was telling people she didn't think Georgia would be ripe for her takeover until 2024 which means the gubernatorial race in 2026 is where she really wanted to run anyway. She's been laying the groundwork this whole time. So if she sits out 2022, she puts somebody else up who loses, then she runs in four years. Because if that person won, she couldn't challenge them in a primary four years hence. So sit it out, find a sacrificial lamb to go after Brian Kemp, let Kemp win in an environment hostile to Democrats, and then she runs for president in 2024. Maybe she gets it, maybe she doesn't, but then she runs for governor in 2026 if she doesn't, and she's built up her war chest, she's built up her name ID, she's built up her national support again, she's she's field-tested some new strategies, and then she tries to win. And then she goes back to the presidency eight years later. That could be her plan. Now, I've gotten more than one person has texted me in the last little bit about this Democratic um, lawsuit, about the um, sovereign immunity about separating families of the border. Here's the thing. The government should, sovereign immunity basically means you can't sue us over this. You can't sue, for example, a state uh, within certain parameters unless states have passed laws saying what you can sue them for. You can't sue the federal government for things unless the federal government has given you permission. The illegal immigrants should not be able to sue the federal government for separating them at the border. The Biden administration has not made that claim in court. They should make that claim in court. They haven't made that claim in court. Why haven't they made that claim in court? Because the Biden administration wants to end family separations at the border. And the way you end family separation at the border is you settle this lawsuit instead of making a sovereign immunity claim. And you settle it and agree to never separate people at the border again. That way, the Biden administration creates new immigration policy without Congress having passed a law and pays the illegal immigrants, which they think will do them some good in the Latino community and makes it impossible for a future Republican president to really take any issue with dealing with the border. That's what they're doing. Hi there, it is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Congressman Kevin Brady is the ranking Republican on the House Ways and Means Committee. He's retiring at the end of this year. He is from uh, the Houston, Texas area. He is a good man, and he's got some great staff as well, I should say. Several of them are friends of mine. He's joining me now by phone. Congressman, how are you? Hey, good, Eric, and you're exactly right. I have great professional team behind me. I'm really, I'm really blessed that way. Thanks for, thanks for mentioning that. Absolutely. So it, now, listen. We've got. I realize that you guys on on your side of the aisle have largely been shut out of some of these processes, and and Joe Manchin keeps throwing a, a wrench in the works for his own side of stuff. But what is the lay of the land right now with all the appropriations and and the spending the Democrats want to do? Yeah, so right now, uh, Eric, it is in, in disarray, as it's been for the last several months up here. Look, all this is being negotiated in secret, so we're catching most of it just by leaks. But a couple, couple big-picture things. One, you would think 
you know, last week on Thursday when the president came up to Capitol Hill to sort of beg for votes, it obscured maybe the worst economic news of his presidency, which is last quarter, you know, if you perform so badly compared to projections that if you just subtracted the inventories that businesses built up for the holidays, you took that out, the equation, basically America stopped growing in the last three months, something no one could have envisioned or would have. The president's now nearly a million jobs short of what he promised from his last big $2 trillion stimulus. And more and more Americans are questioning his competency to lead the economy. So you'd think the last thing you do is sabotage the economy more, but that's what the framework he brought to Capitol Hill does. It's uh, over a trillion dollars of taxes on job creators, small and large. Uh, economically, it's a surrender to Russia, China, Japan, and Europe. Uh, they hammer small businesses about $400 billion, which is basically a small business surtax. Uh, they tax American-made energy, $100 billion. And all of this lands on middle-class taxpayers. So uh, according to Joint Committee on Taxation, he's going to break his pledge again not to tax the middle class. <laughs> well, and uh, along the way now, it looks like if, if the tea leaves are being well-read today, that they are going to come up with a plan on salt to give the millionaires and billionaires <laughs> back their state and local tax deduction. Isn't that crazy? So they literally, you know, half of all that middle or, uh, salt repeal goes to millionaires and billionaires. So, you know, occupants of the penthouse are cheering, but the, the building janitor gets nothing. Plus, you know, don't take my word for it, but the left-leaning tax policy center calls that repeal a tax haven for billionaires against these new tax hikes. And so it's hard to believe it's so expensive to do that. It's hard to believe that in all their priorities, that this big tax windfall to the wealthy continues to be a top priority. It's just, it's just so hypocritical. <laughs> yeah, it is. And, and the progressives have said they wouldn't stand for it, and yet I, I'm sure they're going to cave. Now, along the way here, we do have a problem. And, and when I was back on TV, when it would be on with Democrats, they would always talk about Republicans just want to cut taxes. Uh, my point to them is we've got, we, at the time we didn't even have a $20 trillion deficit or debt. Now we're bordering on 30 trillion. Mm -hmm. At some point, something's gonna have to be cut. Uh, we can't just tax our way out of this. If you taxed everybody a hundred percent, you're still not going to have, make a dent in our national debt. I mean, what is your view on what we need to do long-term about what even the military says is a national security threat? Yeah, no. And, and they're right in, in the, the narrative that uh, no one cares about the debt anymore couldn't be more wrong. I think it's the one issue that keeps most of us conservatives awake at night. The solution is, I think, pretty obvious, which is you grow your revenue with a strong economy. That's what happened after President Trump and Republicans' tax reforms. We've seen record revenue coming into uh, Washington, D.C., way above what was projected before. And so rather than raise taxes, we need to keep those cuts, tax cuts in place to grow more revenue, that's the first answer. But two, you've got to constrain spending. You've really got to tie it to the growth of your economy. In my view, I've introduced a bill, the Make Americans Prosperous Act, that uh, that does exactly that, puts guardrails around spending uh, long-term, uh, moves us over time down to a balanced budget uh, and more. Um, we've got to get the will to do that. That's why... One of the reasons I don't think we should do away with the 
the death ceiling vote because it is an uncomfortable vote for everyone. It should be. It should force both parties to have a discussion about how we get our financial house in order right now. And I recommend the Secretary Yellen, look, bring us a framework. Let's have these conversations. But so far, there doesn't seem to be a will there, at least on the Democrat side. No, Congressman, long term, you, you've been in Congress for a while. You're retiring after this year. How has the institution changed in the years since you've been there? You know, um, I don't think it's more partisan, although right now the last nine months have easily been the worst since I've been up here, 25 years, no question about it. But for the most part, most of what we get done is as conservatives – you know, when we can join with Democrats on key issues and you keep your core values, that's the way you get that done. I think the biggest change really has been social media has allowed, I think, both the public and lawmakers, policymakers, become so much more harsh in their descriptions. I think uh, makes it pretty tough sort of find where where is that common ground for a conservative like me. So, uh, yeah, I think that's been the biggest change going forward. The other thing is, you know, among the Democrats, boy, they have moved so far left since Nancy Pelosi was last speaker. And in mm-hmm. areas like on Social Security that I thought we could have common ground is just gone. Or, you know, addressing greenhouse gas emissions, but doing it long term and, and keeping affordable energy at the heart of this gone as well. So, yeah, there's been a huge change, I think, in the in in the Democrat mainstream is now far, far left. Well, in, in that regard, and you mentioned energy with the president abroad uh, at the at the summit in Scotland and the Democrats now clamping down further on methane emissions. I, I know my dad worked for Conical Oil for years. We would go over to Houston to, to the office over there on occasion when I was a kid. Uh, that's going to drive up energy prices even more in the country. And it just seems like there's this push to make it uh, uncomfortable for people to stick with fossil fuels when the alternatives really aren't that cheap right now. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, you know, the Green New Deal, I think, is sort of flatter thinking. So their belief is you have to drive affordable energy up, make it as expensive as you can, kill off all the oil and gas jobs. That's basically their solution. I think the the real solution is not to make energy more expensive, but make affordable energy cleaner. And that's exactly what's happening. You keep the jobs you keep uh, energy prices low, but you invest in the innovation technology that our oil and gas industry is already proving that America can become both the, the affordable energy leader and the clean energy leader. But, boy, the Democrats are just obsessed with killing off oil and gas in any form as well as nuclear. And it's just it isn't possible. You will hurt the families who can least afford uh those higher energy prices, and you're already seeing it in inflation today. I mean, an average family uh, making $70,000, like two teachers, they're paying an extra cable bill every month based on inflation, and it it looks like it could get worse. Now, before you get off of here, uh, I want to throw a wild card issue at you that I'm actually (laughs) genuinely fascinated by because, you know, I'm from native of Louisiana, but my mom's whole family lived in the Houston area, the Pasadena, Texas area, Ah, the like we would go over a ton. And then my dad's office was in Houston with Conoco. And I know that it's outside your district, it's south of you, but the Galveston Bay area in Houston, more and more, it's not rising sea levels that's causing flooding. It's the sinking 
of that area down in South Texas. Yeah. And I'm fascinated by this one because of what other countries around the world have done when land starts sinking and subsiding. And and here in Texas, yeah, there's going to be a real long-term problem there with the storms coming off the Gulf of Mexico and the like. And I'm just interested in, in where do you see this going and, and what, what the federal stakeholders are involved in dealing with this issue that really is going to impact your entire demographic area down there. Yeah, it really does, and and thanks for for bringing that issue up. So, you know, the state has actually done a pretty uh, incredible job of addressing this. So subsidence is real, and over the last 20 years, the state has put in place, you know, locally controlled regional water efforts to move move to groundwater from underground water that has been causing, uh, or at least a big driver of, of ground sinking, and so they've done, we're making progress on that, not where we need to be. They're not spending money foolishly or, you know, overreacting on a Green New Deal. They know the problem. The other thing, too, is what you mentioned. So, look, we, we, we get hurricanes a lot, uh, always have. It's not getting worse or more frequent. We just have them. And I think some of the big-picture projects like the Ike Dyke and, and putting in place these uh, storm walls, uh, uh, there in Galveston and all the way over to Orange, I think that can help. It's expensive. Uh, frankly, should have been done, you know, decades and decades ago to protect our industry in, in communities. But I think those two solutions are probably right on track. Oh, and by the way, speaking of Texas in the climate change trip. So in Texas, we have continued to urge the president, rather than fly 3,000 miles to Europe, you know, send that uh, his air, airplane south to the border, you know, come see <laughs> what exactly is, since he's not visited and he's not uh, apparently aware of the border crisis he's created, for half the carbon emissions, he could come down to Texas and take a real look at a, the crisis he created. Okay, well, since you've raised that, i, I got to ask you one more question here. I know there's that caravan that's headed our way, thirty to 50,000 yeah. people coming through Central America. And I, I, I tell my radio listeners all the time, they're not really the bad guys. You have these Democratic politicians who said, we're not Trump. It's okay now. And so they said, yeah. okay, and they're headed this way. And, I mean, what can we – I don't think they should stay. I, I think they should stay in Mexico, frankly. But, I mean, yeah. is there any incentive or anything the government is doing to prepare for this next wave? Short answer is nothing. And this is as some call the mother of all caravans, just in size and, and – uh, in shape, uh, it's going to overwhelm an already overwhelmed system. I've never seen it like this uh, in Texas uh, ever. And the White House continues to be in denial. And it is, you know, it's just not a humanitarian crisis, although that's a big part of it. But it's a sex trafficking. It's a fentanyl and drug trafficking. It's a criminal gains um, crisis. And the president, look, the whole country knows what's driving this and these open border policies of President Biden. But he, uh, well, he's like the economy. He's bungling the border uh, challenges as well. It's, it's it's such a humanitarian crisis, and and I guess they want to settle lawsuits and and lock in some changes uh, through settlements again instead of letting Congress litigate or legislate. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's that's a crazy idea. But but you know, all those paying paying families a half million dollars who are separated, that all that total is only one billion. Well relatively a billion dollars, they have a hundred billion dollars for immigration in this framework that no one knows how they intend to use and they refuse to talk about it. So apparently they have bigger plans even than paying, you know, you know uh, families that were separated at the border with your 
tax dollars, which seems crazy enough, but they may have uh, worse ideas coming up. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure they do. Congressman, hard to listen, it's always a hard to believe, isn't it? It is. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. It really is. And, and I do mean it. You have some great staff around you. I know your presence Thank will be you. missed after next year, but uh, keep up the good work while you're there. We'll do it, sir. Take care. You too. Take care. Congressman Kevin Brady, uh, Houston, Texas. He actually lives in the Woodlands uh, there. Good, good guy uh, on the Ways and Means Committee. Certainly knows the ins and outs of the federal budget. Y'all, listen, I have been telling you I'm going to be on my front porch tonight doing a live stream. And if you're a subscriber, a paid subscriber to my daily Substack, I'm going to be answering your questions first. I'm going to do it before the World Series, focusing on Virginia. And, you know, there's a governor's race in New Jersey that's closer than it should be, among other things. And then a lot of local issues I'll get into when we come back. But I'm going to have my Eden Pure Gin 40 heater with me because it's going to be cold outside. Now, right now, you can save $20 off the lowest price. Yeah, you've heard prices are going up, power's going up, everything is going up well. The Eden Pure Gen 40 heater actually gives you great savings on your heating bills and generates great heat efficiently. What you can do is you can get one. You can see it for yourself. Check it out. Maybe I'll show it to you on the live stream tonight. We'll see. It works, and it pumps out heat, and it's great. What you can do is go to EdenPureDeals.com. Right now, my listeners are getting a deduction, a discount, $200, $220 off the Gen 40 regular price. Extra 20 bucks off the lowest sale price. All you've got to do is go to EdenPureDeals.com and you put in Eric Heater as your discount code. Now, let me tell you. So this heater, the, the Gen 40 heater, you can see it on the website, EdenPureDeals.com. You plug it in, it's electric, but it generates a great amount of heat very efficiently. So if you need a space heater, you can take it room to room. You can warm up your room. I think it's like a thousand square feet. This thing heats up. And even on the porch where there's a little breeze, this thing pumps out heat and keeps us warm on the front porch when we're having bourbon and cigar night. So you can get the Eden Pure Gen 40, $20 off the lowest price by using the code Eric Heater. Shipping's free as well. You go to EdenPureDeals.com, put the heater in your shopping cart and at checkout, all one word, Eric Heater, E-R-I-C-K, the word heater, no space. You'll get shipping free, extra $20 off, EdenPureDeals.com. You know, something else we're not talking about uh, that people need to pay attention to tonight. There are local elections around the country tonight. And how big is crime going to be an issue? It is an issue in local races in Virginia. I am here in Georgia. And the northern suburb of Atlanta, not really the suburb, the, the northern section of Atlanta is called Buckhead. It's a the financial center for the city. It tends to be, uh, well, it used to be Republican before Trump. Now it's kind of white, progressive. It's a bunch of uh, social liberals who like to make money. And a lot of them are thinking of trying to break away from the city of Atlanta because of the crime issue. The mayor of Atlanta, who there's an election tonight, and the mayor of Atlanta chose not to run. She would not have gotten reelected, and she knew it despite her spin because of the crime situation. Uh, the Buckhead area of the city is thinking of seceding from this, the city. Now, it would take an act of the legislature to make it happen. But they want to break away from Atlanta because crime has gotten so bad. They're not alone around the country suburban enclaves and in and, and parts of cities that are uh, deeply impacted by crime are trying to break away. It, it is a movement that I think could pick up steam unless the elections go in a way that suggests cities are taking crime seriously. Democrats made a big push on defunding police. And, you know, in, in Minnesota, 
They're trying to defund the police. These are the first local elections in Minnesota tonight since the George Floyd situation. I'm very curious, actually, to see how the local elections in Minnesota go, particularly in the Minneapolis area. A lot of black neighborhoods are really upset with the white progressive elite who want to defund the um, inner city areas of major cities and get rid of the police in those areas because the people who live there recognize crime as an issue. So if you're in the Atlanta area, for example, or you're in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area and your local white progressive politicians want to get rid of the police, if you're black, you really don't like that. And ironically, that's one of the big issues that's pushing non-white voters to vote Republican. In a lot of local elections, they're nonpartisan races. Here in Georgia, uh, all the local elections tend to be nonpartisan. You don't really have a Democrat or Republican, but you know, you know who the Republican or the Democrat is. But it gives these black families who are worried about crime an excuse with a clear conscience to vote Republican because they don't have a party next to their name anyway. I would watch the local elections around the country because I suspect what you're going to see is a response and a backlash to the crime wave in the country and a response and a backlash to the defund effort. If I had to call Virginia, just given the dynamics, I would say, uh, Terry McAuliffe wins by a point or so, which is far closer than it should be, but that the Republicans pick up seats in the House of Delegates there, uh, giving them a majority in their House of Delegates. That, I think, is most likely. But, man, Yunkin winning would be a big deal in Virginia. And you thought these last two years were crazy. Welcome to 2022. It's coming up and nothing makes sense still, especially in business. If you're a small business owner, good luck getting financing from a big bank right now. I can offer you a fantastic solution if you're looking for $750,000 or more in financing for your business. First Liberty Building and Loan. Let's say you want to buy a new building or you want to refi existing debt or you want to buy a company. Basically, you see opportunity for your business to grow, but you've hit a wall with the mega banks getting financing. That's where First Liberty Building and Loan and my friends, the Frost family, come in. They solve small business financing problems better than anyone I've ever seen. They say yes, where big banks say no, it's that simple. Look, just do this. Spend 10 minutes with them. Call them, First Liberty Building and Loan. Say Eric sent you. In 10 minutes, you'll know if you're a good fit for their program. Go to firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. They help small businesses nationwide in all 50 states. Firstlibertyga.com. 